Welcome to the Over Beers Podcast. I'm Freddie Clark. Craft beer is popular. However, to many, it can still be a mysterious product that people misunderstand. Lots will say, I don't like craft beer. After trying maybe only one or two that don't agree with their palate. People have many different tastes, many different likes and dislikes. And like any other food, there are many different types of beer with a variety of different tastes. Some may find the sheer number of beer, styles, and breweries overwhelming and just not know where to start. The goal of this podcast, Over Beers, is to remove some of the mystery behind the term craft beer, bring you conversations with professionals in the world of beer, help explain some of the terms in beer, and, more importantly, introduce you to different styles of beer so you can experience the world of flavors that exist in craft beer. Come on along. To get things started this week, we're going to discuss contract brewing. Starting a physical brewery takes a lot of cash. Location, bricks, and the stainless steel used to brew are expensive. One option that some brewers use is to take part in what's called contract brewing. In short, a company brews and packages its beer on equipment it does not own. Established brewers will turn their excess capacity of the unused equipment into revenue by renting out their facilities. The types of these situations can vary greatly. Sometimes the host brewery will do nothing but provide the equipment and the contracting brewer will bring all the ingredients and take care of the entire process from beginning to end. In other instances, the host brewery will provide ingredients and recipes and take care of the process themselves. In this case, the contracting brewer will do mostly the marketing and sales. Within these two ends, all kinds of variations are possible. Breweries may start out contracting and then build their own physical locations over time. Sometimes established breweries will supplement their capacity by contracting out to others to meet high demand and make more beer. Contract brewing has been taking place in the United States almost since beer has been brewed here. But within the last 30 years, it was brought back to prominence by the Boston Beer Company. In 1984, Boston Beer got their start brewing their Samuel Adams Boston Lager at the Pittsburgh Brewing Company. Through the years, they continued to contract brew, and as the company grew, they began to build their own facilities. Many companies followed this model, which did help to grow the American craft beer movement. These days, the term gypsy brewing can be used synonymously, but it can also refer to companies that continue to travel from brewery to brewery to make beer and never establish their own physical location. For this week's show, we're talking with John Merck Merklin of Beach House Brewery in Belmar, New Jersey. Beach House is one of the successful breweries that got its start as a contract brewer. Merck is a Jersey Shore native who loves where he lives and wanted to share his passion for beer with the shore. We'll talk about how his love for beer started and how Beach House began. He poured us a few to try and we had a conversation over beers. Lifelong fascination with beer. Uh, started in my childhood. My father was one of six brothers and... Uh, they each had their own beer. Like my father was, my father was the Michelob brother. Another brother, another one of his brothers was the you know, Miller High Life. Another guy was the Paps guy. Okay. They kind of went down the order, and my father was the Stroh's guy. He was the Stroh's guy. <laughs> yep. So I, I think it was a bit of that sibling competition, but also what was available at the time. Mm-hmm. And I always, I, I joke a little bit, and I say, you know, our first, my first job in the industry was actually delivering beer from the fridge to my father on, a, on his chair during Sunday for football. <laughs> okay. yep. And because he was a Michelob guy, 
you know, the rule was, uh, you know, we got to drink the neck of the beer. Whoever, whichever, I was one of three brothers. Whoever okay. got to deliver the beer could drink the neck portion. Down to the label, like? Well, that's the thing. With Michelob, it was kind of a little bit of Loki's wager. Where does the neck begin or end, <laughs> right. you know? So <laughs> it got interesting at times. The more fond I grew of it. But uh, okay. it was just a lifelong fascination. I had uncles who were... Um, in the bar and restaurant business mm-hmm. there was a little bit of that although not so much but there was just something I guess watching my father his brothers my mother when they had people over and just the good times that came of that that really interested me early in beer it's a like social bit of it too that, 100% that, yep, it was all yep. about that I always I remember being a kid and sometimes getting sent to bed a little earlier when I knew they had people over and I always felt that I was missing something right, right. what got you into the craft beer so, in like truth, why didn't you wind up working at Anheuser-Busch, right? So what got right. you into craft? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, yeah, we started with the beer, of course. Um, my true introduction to craft beer came, I was actually working at a carpet store um, when I was 16, 17, 18 years old, and I had a boss who was 31 at the time, which seems, he seemed ancient then. Now I'm 43. I'm like, damn, 31 <laughs> is a good number. Yep. Uh, but his father was actually a pilot for TWA. And he would bring back a lot of this stuff from out west. Um, Prior to that, granted, I was milk drinking age, but uh, I was trying a lot of the imports. Uh, I have a bit of German heritage in me, and I have Irish heritage in me, so I was trying a lot of stuff from Germany, England, Ireland. But when I started to get stuff like Anchor Steam and some breweries that aren't even in existence anymore, but stuff was coming out west from his father... It just, again, it's like your very first sip of beer, period. I wasn't instantly in love with it. I can't mm-hmm. tell you it was love at first sip. I was like, wow, this is really strange. But the more I got exposed to it, my palate turned over, as you would expect. And it just kind of took off from there, where every week I was trying something new. And then when you saw more distribution hit, talk in the early 90s, um, when you start, start started to hit here in New Jersey, my friends and I, it was about, you know, at that time, we were just buying six-pack after six-pack, and we were just, like, experienced junkies. Um, right. It wasn't so much about how the beer rated or was it your favorite or not. It was like, I just wanted to try everything right. out. Yeah, yep. just click those before untapped, clicking those things Absolutely. on untapped, right? And, yeah, and then during that time, uh, one of my friends, Christian, um, he got a homebrew kit from his parents for his 21st birthday, and... Another friend who wound up being one of my one of the co-founders of Beach House, Brian Suriaco, uh, we started brewing with him. Uh, had all kinds of experiences, made terrible beer, made decent beer, <laughs> but always had fun making it. It was definitely the fun part was making it and that kind of shared experience. Um, got into it that way. Um, went and had a family. Got married, had a family, had kids, so the brewing took a backseat to everything, not the beer. I was right. still trying every beer, visiting breweries. Um, and then at some point in my life, it kind of went back to, I think it was more, I, re- I was working in high tech, working out in Europe for about nine years. And on one flight, I was reading uh, Beer School, written, written by Steve Hindy mm-hmm. uh, from Brooklyn Brewery. And all of the reasons he got into brewing in Brooklyn really applied to this area, meaning the Jersey Shore for me. Um, in 2007, this was, and as hard as it is to imagine, because there's you know, dozens of breweries have opened since. At that time, there was nothing going on yeah. in this area. So I kind of wanted to have a... I wanted to help put the Jersey Shore craft beer uh, onto the landscape, you know, basically. Okay, so that now... So you're brewing in your garage. 
that's where Beach House started, was basically in that garage? Right. So, at some point, I said, I'm doing this. Right. And I told Brian, who's my best friend, and um, he went co founded the company with me. And he said, yeah, we can do this. We can start this up. Um, immediately needed to seek some real expertise when it came to brewing. You know, I'm a, I'm a uh, hobbyist home brewer. You know, that's my tag. I don't claim to be the world's greatest brewer. Um, so, by reputation and some past experience from the musical or music world, um, our brewmaster who, who today is the same guy who started brewing in our garage, uh, Tom Pizbrowski, um, then back in 2007. So, he almost immediately joined us, really. Okay. And we started developing recipes from there. Um, we incorporated the business in 2007. Um, for me, it just felt more real that way. I had okay. other business ideas. Some of them I moved forward with. Others I hadn't. Um, but this one, I wanted to. Re- I wanted to make it so real that we basically had to pay taxes on a business that wasn't bringing in any revenue and things right. like that. You know, uh, simple filing taxes and fees. But it felt more real that way, and we continued to build from there. Uh, we began by brewing up in Rochester, New York, with North American breweries. Okay. Uh, Genesee. So Genesee. So the yep. old Genesee, still a brand yep. of theirs. Yep. Um, since have been purchased by a Costa Rican company. But we went from making um, basically 10 gallons a batch in my garage to 500 barrels. Overnight. Just overnight. Bang. It, it, okay. And, and it instantly became, oh my God, I have all this beer to sell. That brewery, I went to school my freshman year of college at SUNY Geneseo. Okay. And that I know that brewery well. Our it, brewmaster went to RIT. Yeah. So okay. he drank a lot of 12 horse. Yep. yep. Okay. <laughs> Very good. So you've got all this beer. Right. Where are you bringing it? Where is it going? Well, yeah, that was, you instantly have to find customers right. and not just because, especially this state, but all the states, uh, more often than not, especially then, you had to go through distribution. Now right. things have changed a little bit, but in our, for purposes of this discussion, we instantly found some distribution partners, which was very hard. Most of them don't want to call you back. They're getting right. calls all day from brands. Um, at that time, not so much from New Jersey, because there still weren't a lot of new breweries. There right. were certainly existing breweries, um, but it hadn't yet gone through its boom. Right, and, uh, and especially this region, craft was boom. not... No. Not a big thing yet. It, it was, was still very much a light lager and Pilsner market. Yep. Um, so it was interesting. It was a lot of begging, pleading, trying to get appointments. And then it just hit. And then when one distributor said yes, um, Kohler Distributing, for instance, in Hawthorne, New Jersey, all of a sudden it just kind of, a couple of them said yes. And all of a sudden we had most of New Jersey filled out, started selling the beer. And then really from there, it's a lot of word of mouth, a lot of carrying the bag on the street, talking with accounts, doing tasting events, tap takeover events, um, samplings, festivals. Right. It's always pushing, that first pulling, one. digging, sweating, you know. No matter what it is, getting that first one in any, in any endeavor is always the hard we one. We still say that today. Yep. In fact, we are at a recent staff meeting, and it was about 15 minutes prior to really opening, and somebody came to our door, and I opened it, and it was, it was kind of a pain in the butt because we had to stop the meeting and everything. guy just came in to buy a six-pack, and I said, guys, it's just like sports sometimes in baseball. The first hit's always the toughest. I got the first sale of the day. Right. Should be clear sailing from here on right. out. You know what I mean? Hard one's done. Absolutely. The yep. hard one's done. Okay, excellent. Um, okay, so now... Your, your gypsy brewing, your... Which is the term used now. Right, okay. And I think it's because 
interesting enough, and I think it's fair to, to tell this story. 2007, we were following a model that a lot of the craft brewers had followed, yeah. Sam Adams, Sam, Brooklyn. Yeah. But somewhere around 2010, 2011, it became a pejorative. Your contract brewing. You're, you know, you're not really beer guys. You're not really doing anything. Even though we went up to every brew and every taste panel, did every non non union job they let us. Right. But it it became a real negative for us. I didn't realize that. Oh they, yeah, it was it, it was used against us in marketing. And they're not really beer guys. And they're not really from New Jersey. It's from New York. Well, they did that to Sam too. They did that to Sam to, Adams. Sure, that was, we, you're we not fell from victim. Boston. You were. But you now were the Gypsy Brewing, you know? which we have certainly no problem with, and yeah. it certainly doesn't impact. It shouldn't impact the quality for any reason or any of that. So Gypsy Brewing is the cool way to say your contract brewing. Right, right, right. Now, question well, before we get to. You know how you got to here just while we're in the gypsy brewing is anybody gypsy brewing here no and we're open to it You're because to it? we that's how we we again we believe in it right especially listen if you're into beer, you want to get this started any which way you can. In some cases now, there's guys who started with, say, smaller facilities that need to expand and they don't have the room to expand in their own facility, so they need to find partners. Um, and some folks, much like how we were in the beginning, just need to start somehow. So no, we're we're um, open. We've spoke to several folks about brewing for them, and it's something we would certainly discuss with anybody. Uh, we think it's still all in the spirit of things. Mm-hmm. So sure. No, we, 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 like I said, we're talking to a couple of folks and maybe in a month or two we'll have an announcement to make. Yeah, sure. All right. Nice. Nice. So you're, you're up in Geneseo, New York, you're brewing. Why then it, it sounds like it's going well, things are taking off. Why then start your own house? Why two, start your own brew things house? We always wanted to, okay. <laughs> you know, we always wanted to. We just, I guess initially, I guess we always said, can we build the brand first? We mm-hmm. want to see the brand built. Um, it seemed like we were cheating, but the reality is, and folks who know the business really, really well would admit as much. I often talk to them, other breweries. It's not the easy way. It's the expensive way. Contract brewing is super expensive. We were paying all kinds of money just to ship the beer down, to distribute mm-hmm. from New Jersey to multiple states. So it wasn't a very efficient model as well. So that's number two, the real reason. And number three, the consumer mindset definitely changed where it's not like in the morning when people have their cereal, they, they demand knowing who made their cornflakes. Mm-hmm. With beer, it's different. They want to know yeah. who made it, where it's made, what do they look like, right. what do they use. I, I know how beer is made, but I still want to know how they do things. Hyper-local brewing started. I mean, everybody, like you said, everybody wants to know exactly where it came from. And the yep. market... Has the ultimate power. Yep. You know, uh, in a free, you know, so, uh, so it really was all three of the factors. Number one, we've always wanted the brewery. <laughs> and then there was a change in, in law, 2012 in New Jersey, mm-hmm. that made it a little easier to open a brewery. Additional revenue streams through a tap room and stuff, which would help to market right. your beer. Um, and it made a lot of sense for us. Right. And that's when we started looking for a location. Right. And that's in 2012 began the real boom of Jersey brewing. I mean, it, it, for no doubt, it, it, no I mean, doubt. Now we're, I think last time I looked, I think we're it's up to seventy-five. Yeah, either breweries or breweries in planning, yep. um, which is exciting. Um, it shows you, again, in two thousand nine, two thousand ten, when we were really first commercially pushing our brand, we were still getting. Oh, it's just a fad from some accounts. I don't know if it's going to last. We've seen it before. It's here. Yep. It's here to stay. It's part of the fabric now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So, so then it was what five years? You guys were between inceptions, filling out the paperwork, starting to brew, 
and to here? Was yeah, that so about we, five we, years? The building was purchased in two th- February 2014. All kinds of construction, headaches, worries, anxieties, till about December of 2014 when we started brewing I'm on location. Here. Okay, now, and for those of you who don't know, we are sitting on Main Street in Belmar. Yes. And it is, um, what are we, like three, four blocks from the beach. Yep. And this building was a local landmark building, a local landmark business for oh, yeah. years. It was Freeman's Bakery for 64 years. Right. And I remember going up and down the shore when I was younger. Right. I remember this spot well. We still have, on rare occasion, but still on occasion, people coming in looking for a coffee and a roll. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. <laughs> Not at all. I didn't see them downstairs. You don't have those? No, no, no. (laughs) Interesting story. When you replace a landmark business location, um, despite the fact that they were, you know, Herb Friedman, who was the patriarch of Friedman's, uh, you know, advancing in age, had done it for 60 some odd years. He he was done. Uh, Children not interested in carrying on the business. At least that's what we were told. Um, But when that article comes out in the paper that a brewery is moving into Friedman's, you're the instant TV villain. Yep. It's you pushed these guys out. You did this. You did that. Yep. You made the guy age. Not realizing <laughs> that Herb Friedman, you know, we all had a beer over the club, and he was he was very happy to see a, a brewery come in, because he 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 is in his own words. He goes, oh no, brewery breweries are the new thing now. It's not bakeries anymore. Right. And when we told him we weren't going to level raise the building, and you know we were going to keep a, a lot of the building intact, he was very happy to hear that. And then he was very happy to see it. He's had a lot of friends and even family come take pictures bring beer from the location. He's down in uh, Boca Raton now, okay. Florida. So he he was very happy to see what we had done. Right. Well, it, it is liquid bread. It, it definitely is. Yeah. 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 So you understand the process, yep. it's not far off at all. Yep. So it's it's a natural progression. Yep. It's a natural progression. Okay, so 2015, open the doors. May 2015 was our grand opening. Okay. So still five states, about the same footprint, or has that grown as well? No. we had, So... Again, great question that only comes up in, I guess, interviews like this, but we actually had made a very difficult decision. When you go from brewing 500 barrels at a time and warehousing it, we were warehousing it in South Plainfield, paying all kinds of money for that, but and then shipping it from there and doing all the logistics from there. Uh, then we were now at a 30-barrel system, which mm-hmm. is considerably less. Um, we had to make the difficult decision um, to kind of contract a bit. So really at one point, we were only servicing New Jersey again. In some cases, no harm, no foul. Once we were ready to put product back into the states again, like for instance in Pennsylvania, all three distributors up and running, uh, signing a fourth hopefully very soon, no problem. In other cases, you know, it, 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 um, we're still waiting to get back into the markets uh, just to catch up. Because uh, what happened was with construction delays, which inevitably occur, and our contract up in Rochester ran out, we weren't making beer for a series of months. Okay. So then we said, hey, we you know we got to serve the home market because we can't lose that. Right. Um, but again, overall, I think we were successful in that transition, but still growing back towards that. As of right now, New Jersey and Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. Northeast Pennsylvania. Northeast Pennsylvania. Okay. And about how many time, how many brews a a week are you doing? So it really varies on season. We're capable of brewing up to three times a day. Um, We haven't done that yet, but we have done a number of back to back. So typically, you know, you could be looking anywhere in the off season between three to six brews and an on season, you know, as many as six, seven or eight brews. Okay. Yeah. Are you still brewing at home in the garage? I am not. You're and, not. And okay. truth be told, um, 
I started, so when we built the brewery here and we started going underway, it was Tom and myself again, brewing primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, it's been over a year since I've touched a brew. Okay. Um, and But we do have a new th- series, which I know we were talk, discussing prior to this. Prior to the mics going on, we do have a test department series, and that's actually open up to any of the staff. So we have our sales guy making beer, we have our seller guys making beer, our brewmaster, of course, and uh, I've been threatening to jump back into the game a little bit. Um, really, now that things, the brewery's up and running, um, I feel much more comfortable. I'm, I'm sleeping again at night. Right. Um, I, I feel like I'm going to, you know, again, I, I don't think books will be written about anything I, I make, but uh, it will be fun just to brew again. So I, so anybody anybody here in the company can just say, hey, Merck, I got an idea. Absolutely. And brew here, or do you want them to come with a, and so hand you a beer? System. We have a pilot. 30-gallon okay. pilot system here, and they can have at it. Nice. Um, it can't interfere with their primary job. Right. But, you know, I think it's important for two things. Everybody who works here is a beer guy. Mm-hmm. Just you know, it doesn't mean everybody's a brewer. Um, but everyone has interest in brewing. Everyone has their own taste palettes, and they know what's going on in their circle okay. of friends or the, their circle in the beer world. And it's a creative outlet for sure. Okay, I've seen I've seen our seller guys partner with our sales guys, and it's really cool. Right. right so we're talking about it. We might as well try one. Sure. Which Which one do you want to start? I want to start with the one. <laughs> that we just released today for our test departments, the Jersey Tomato Basil Pills. Okay. Um, this was our brewmaster's creation. Uh, on paper, I, I had question marks all over it every week that we were talking, that we have meetings every week and taste panels. Um, he actually did a great job with this beer, and the feedback's been very good today. Right. Um, so he used basil and oregano from his own garden. We used Jersey tomatoes. Um, it smells like grandma's sauce. It, it, it is it gravy or sauce? That's the question. <laughs> It was sauce for me. <laughs> Same. Um, so it, it came out really nice. It goes, uh, we had it with pizza earlier, the staff. Yeah. Um, somebody had an Italian sub with it. Um, so this is one of those fun beers where yeah. it's like, it'll probably be gone by the week, by the end of the weekend. Um, but it was a fun beer to make. Yeah, so it's, that was the, the test, the added a test system. That's correct. Okay, so yeah, it's, this is definitely good. And I, and I was telling you earlier, a buddy of mine in college, when we went out to drink one night, and he got a pills, right. and he got a, a glass of tomato juice, and right. just dumped it right in. And I was like, "What are you doing?" Right. And it was it was good. And, and that is the thing with a brewery and with a local market, and it's kind of tribal in a sense. Um, you kind of earn that right to take some chances with your fan base. That's true right. of all breweries. So. Um, we, 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 we sometimes do some very funky stuff. Like I said, this was one I was very worried about. Mm-hmm. Not that I thought it would be horrible, but you never know quite what the finished product will be. Right. And I thought our brewmaster did an excellent job pulling this off. So I figured we'd go with Classic American Pilsner. That was our very first beer that we, uh, it was by design. Um, again, when you're brewing 500 barrels at a clip, we wanted to make a beer and go back to 2007. That was very familiar with the market. It was still a light lager, light Pilsner mm-hmm. place. Um, so we thought a craft pilsner, while it, it, it went against the grain in the sense that everybody was on this IPA craze, deservedly so. Yep. This was our way to kind of go in and give somebody, give this area something that was familiar, mm-hmm. you know, and look and appearance. People were still saying, I don't drink dark beer 
back then. Right. And <laughs> yeah. everybody grew up with Pilsner. Absolutely. I mean, that's... Familiar style. Yeah. Absolutely. So this is a German recipe made with just American ingredients. That's what the style... It's actual classic American Pilsner is an actual style. Right. Some folks uh, don't know that. And again, it's a substantial Pilsner in its own right. It's got a little hot bite to it. Yeah. So even if you're an IPA fan, there's a lot of attributes to like about this beer. Yeah. Now, one thing that's interesting, especially in in breweries today, in, in this New Jersey's in particular, you don't see a lot of lagers. It's a harder beer to brew. It's, it's not relaxed at all. It's very rigid. Yeah. And for, even from the energy requirements to do cold lagering and things like that, absolutely. Um, now, of course, early on, we had the advantage that we were a contract brewing up in Rochester, and they made a whole heck of a lot of it. Right. But it also helped us learn how to execute it here in Delmar. Right. Um, but you're seeing them more and more because I think it's, we, we said it back then, it's not a style you should forget or poo-poo. And some people no. think, again, oh, you make a Pilsner, you're cheating somehow. No. I don't think so. No. You can, no. Screw, you can screw this beer up a thousand different ways. And, and look, just from a drinking perspective, I mean, I, I am a big IPA guy. Mm-hmm. But a day like today or, you know, or tomorrow when it's going to be almost 90 degrees, right. if I want a beer at 2 in the afternoon, right. a hoppy bitter pills, a hoppy bitter IPA is not going to be my first choice. It may not be the first choice. Where a Pilsner, I could drink that wash in the car. Yeah, and, and that's what I feel about beer. There's a beer for every occasion. Right. I like fishing. If I'm 15, 20 miles out on the boat fishing, I'm probably not drinking triple Belgium. You know, right. I just... It's not because the beer stinks at all. I love this. It's just, you know, it's, I need something I can endure the day with. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, the flight I provided has no IPAs on it, Freddie. So it's okay. You can Don't try them after. It. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I also like to drink everything, like yeah. I told you earlier. All right. So next up. Herb's Rye. So this is our tribute beer to Herb Friedman. At the closing of the building, Herb was telling us how wheat beer was his favorite style of beer. I had mentioned to the brewmaster that I grew up, he's from uh, Mountainside, New Jersey, so Friedman's didn't mean right. all that much to him. Uh, but I told him I was grew up eating the rye bread every other day at the dinner table. So he said, hey, let's make a wheat beer with rye malt. Kind of came up with the name Herb's Rye. Um, we did it as a tribute beer. It was supposed to be a one-off just for the grand opening. It was so popular. It's probably our second or third most popular beer here in the tap room. We're making it year-round now. Okay. It's kind of a German Hefeweizen, but yep. it's got its own attributes, the way the yeast uh, works off some of the ingredients. Did, uh, did Herb like it? So Herb thought it was awesome. Okay. <laughs> and his, he's got friends who visit him once or twice a year, and they come in and always buy a six-pack or two it's and bring brief. it down to him. Nice. He was honored. Um, we felt really good about doing it. It really felt good for us. Again, we were initially going to do it for the first week or two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that the market gets it, at least a portion of the market gets it, mm-hmm. is really nice. And then it's nice to see that people just like the beer without really understanding the story behind it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, it is nice. Now, I noticed you guys, when I was looking at, through the website, a good amount of seasonals. Mm-hmm. So you are mixing things up quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, we went the first four, almost five years of our existence really only having a total of four beers mm-hmm. out of which only two were in the market at any any given time um, we definitely early on took the approach of having a flagship beer okay. that's done the market doesn't really command having a flagship beer it is what's next what's the variety what's the season you got to be careful with this market because you know the moment you believe it's all about let's just say pumpkins or it's all about 
uh, you know, uh, a certain style of rye, it changes like on a dime. Yep. So we do a lot of one-offs, a lot of seasonal or seasonal one-offs, we call them. We do have a core group of seasonals that we believe in and we distribute and they're the, the market pulls. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we you know, like for instance, our test department series always starts off in the tap room. And then if we have 12 test department beers in a row, say in a series of months, we'll pick one to be our test department for distribution. Okay. A lot of it's based on uh, feedback we get here right in the tap room. So we'll go into bottle, can. Yep. Yep. All right. Yep. Nice. So if, if I'm somebody who's not big into beer, you know, just and maybe discovering a craft beer and I walk into Beach House, what would you recommend the first beer I would go for? Sure, it depends on who you are, but we do have a couple of things. Um, for instance, this in this season, this summer, we have a series of Rodlers. So we have a strawberry, key lime, a lemon, and a grapefruit Rodler uh, because it's a mixture of juice and beer. Um, it's not so beery. Um, mm-hmm. Which seems like a sin, but really, one of the things we all, we've we always heard in the market from folks is like, I really want to drink local. I really want to be at the brewery. I just can't drink an IPA or I can't drink a stout or something like or even a Pilsner, believe it or not. So it's a nice, fun style mm-hmm. for folks like that to try something. We also have a Blondale High Side, which is probably our number one beer in a tap room, which is a very... Um, enjoyable style doesn't really challenge you too much it's a very nice beer to drink uh, but it's not wacky in any form Uh, none of the profiles of the beer stick out too much or you know so really we feel what people are about at the end of the day if somebody doesn't like beer there's still a chance they're not going to like beer Mm -hmm. when they're done here but we do have some options for them Uh, the Rodlers right now seem to be fairly popular but during the season we'll have some fun we'll do some um, blending and things like that with other like fruit juices or some other flavors to kind of bring people into the fold that way what's next for Beach House? we're going to continue to evolve the portfolio we're going to continue to brew um with some level, you know, hopefully of innovation. Uh, we want to get more people visiting us, uh, seeing us, trying our products. Some of us, some folks, sorry, only know us for the first couple beers. We, that's why, again, getting into the tap room, usually we have 14 plus beers on tap. Getting to try several varieties, trying the whole entire portfolio, continue to do that. We got some beers that are, you know, some interesting stuff that's coming out. We're working with some wood age and some, our own bourbon uh, stuff that's on the six to 12 month nice. schedule. Uh, just want to proceed along with that, do right things, make good product, uh, and um, like I said, hopefully make people happy. Thanks a lot, Merck. When you're on the Jersey Shore, swing by the brewery at 801 Main Street in Belmar and look for Beach House beers throughout New Jersey and parts of Pennsylvania. Thanks for joining me this week. You can find out more information about the podcast at our blog at overbeers.beer. Please leave a rating for the podcast or send me an email directly at cheers at sandefoto.com. I'm Freddie Clark, and this has been Over Beers.